It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? One of the tests that we did was basically to take playing cards and hold them up to a webcam. And I'd have my eyes closed and I could see what the cards were with my eyes closed. And I could just read off, you know, ace of spades, two of clubs. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. We are back with another pod for you this week. And on this one, we're talking about putting a computer, a digital display on your eye. On the program, we have Steve Sinclair, and he's the head of product at Mojo Vision, which is a startup out here, and they're super interesting. What they've done is they've created a contact lens that contains a tiny LED display, an antenna, a battery, all of which come together to project onto your field of vision, videos, weather info, emails, whatever it may be. Now, they are still in the relatively early days, which is probably why probably have not heard of them but they have created a prototype Uh, apparently it works Sinclair has worn one of these things and their plan is to ultimately obsolete the smartphone by taking your screen out of your palm and putting it on your eyeball now obviously I had lots of questions as I'm sure you do like how does it work and how all the many ways this could go terribly wrong Um, we cover all of it. So I thought after all the COVID misery, it would be a nice break to just dive into a little bit of off the wall futurescaping for which Silicon Valley is of course very well known. So I hope you enjoy it. And here he is Steve Sinclair of Mojo Vision. Enjoy. Well, thanks for taking the time. I think we're live. Great. Well, it's good to be here. Well, in here, you mean at your house, in your, I don't know, is this your kid's bedroom? This is our guest bedroom, but we don't have any guests, and I don't (laughs) plan on having any anytime soon. Well, thank you for taking the time. I come across Mojo, I think, maybe it was around CES when I first saw what you guys were working on, and it just struck me as 
totally kind of wild and also very interesting. I'm a contact wearer of many years. I was intrigued, but I was wondering if you could just kind of basically explain as a starter, what's the big idea? Well, for people that are not familiar with Mojo Vision, we're making the world's first true smart contact lens. So the idea is that we've taken and invented the world's smallest and densest micro LED display, and we've embedded that into a contact lens form factor, and it will allow us to present any information that you want to see in a heads up, augmented reality sort of way in front of you to show you information that's important to you at the time. We call the concept invisible computing because the idea is that you can see the information you want when you want to see it, and the technology and the information fades away when you don't. You look like yourself. You can you know, interact with the world and interact with the people that are in front of you, you know, whenever you want. But when you need that information, it's there and available to you. Kind of like Google Glass without looking like a glass hole. Yeah. I mean, certainly, certainly looking like yourself is a huge part of this. We all you know, are, are hardwired to interact with people to make eye contact and to, and to want to be eyes up and focus on, on the people in front of us. And so we didn't want to place more screens in front of us or between us to be able to have those interactions. And so this form factor made a lot of sense. It's going to take a long time before glasses smart glasses get to a form factor that look as natural and as sleek and chic as what people wear today. The idea that we could take all of the same capabilities, fit them into a contact lens form factor really appealed to us. On that point, it's going to take a while for glasses to look like glasses and not look like these weird funky things. Are you saying that contact lenses are are easier to kind of get there, so to speak? In that respect, we think yes. The work is hard to to be able to make that happen, but it's different than the technical challenges that glasses, smart glasses makers have to have to approach. They're dealing with a a whole different set of, of technical challenges than we are, but it's very liberating when you know the form factor you're heading for and you know what you're trying to build and, and the type of experience you're trying to build to be able to cut out all the extra stuff and not have to live up to making something look as natural as, as a pair of glasses that has to be fashionable. Here, we just have to fit, make something that allows your eye to still look natural, but yet we have to focus on the safety aspect of it. Yeah. Um, sure that it's safe when you're wearing it. And what is it made out of? Because I know that I remember seeing my mom, she used to have hard contacts, like the little hard contacts were really way back in the day. Yeah. And those were really bothersome. And then when I started wearing contacts many moons ago, they were the soft ones, but then you'd, you'd keep the same pair for whatever, a year or six months. And now mm-hmm. I, everybody has the disposables that I think they're a silicone or whatever they are, but they're actually quite comfortable. You kind of forget they're there. What is this made out of? Because obviously if you have, I don't know, processing power and hardware inside this thing, I'm trying to understand how that feels and looks on the eye. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. So there are lots of different contact lenses out in the world. The type of lens that we started with to, to build this product is called a scleral lens. The sclera is the white part of your eye, and these types of lenses have been around for decades. They've generally been prescribed for people that have corneas that are um, irregularly shaped, and so they have trouble seeing, and, and a normal contact lens wouldn't work, but this type of lens actually vaults over the cornea, and it sits on the white of your eye, the sclera. 
And what's great about that is that they are extremely comfortable because the white of your eye has fewer nerve endings in it than the cornea does. You can touch your, the white of your eye, but touching the cornea is very uncomfortable. Um, and the second thing is that they're very stable on the eye. They don't rotate, they don't slip, they don't slide. And therefore we're able to put the display inside of that lens and it's always going to be oriented in the right place and the right pointing in the right direction to point to the fovea, which is the sharpest part of your, your retina, so that we can always show you the right information in the right place. Where are you in this? Because I imagine this, as you mentioned at the top, this is going to be a while before I can go down to, I imagine, I don't know, lens crafters and pick one up. How long have you guys been working on this? What's the kind of history and where have you got to? We started all this about four and a half years ago. The idea of, of one of our co-founders who had just left Sun Microsystems about 10 years prior and had spent 10 years trying to build what he called the ultimate display. And he'd come to the conclusion that the ultimate display really needed to be as close to the eye as possible to match the biology of the human eye. Don't light up more pixels than your eye can actually see. And so, If that's 10 years, I imagine he must have worked on all kinds of different variations before he landed on this. Yeah, he when he was at Sun Microsystem, this is Dr. Michael Deering, he was uh, he is a pioneer in AR and VR and, and did all sorts of different VR and AR projects while he was there. After he left and was working on this on his own, he spent a lot of the time on the vision science and the and the physics of it. Um, but he didn't have you know the resources and the capital to test out all of his theories. But once he got to that point where he was ready to test things out, that's when he met up with our other two co-founders who have been serial entrepreneurs themselves, Drew Perkins, our CEO, and Mike Weimer, who's our CTO. And they've got a lot of experience in building the teams necessary to do these kinds of hard tech problems. And so they came together as a, as a trio. And Drew plus uh, Greg Papadopoulos over at NEA seeded the company and got things going. And over the last four and a half years, what we've been doing is proving out Michael's theories and adjusting and really refining what it means to build a contact lens display or a smart contact lens and, and testing out all the elements of it, not just the display, but how do you power it? How do you push data to it? Um, how do you build it safely? How do you uh, adjust it so that you can actually see it? All of all the things you would imagine you need to do to, to make something like this work. So over the last you know, several years we've been we've been building these prototypes, and it wasn't until last fall that we got to the point where we could start wearing them and prove out that it really worked. And so we had to build out all the quality systems and the medical device regulated um, processes that you need to have in place to make it safe for for people to wear. I've seen some of the reviews, and most people are like, "Well, I can't wear it, but I can kind of hold it up to my eye and see That's through right. it." Have you worn one of these things? I have worn one of these things. And so uh, I put it in and it was it was in some ways very mind-blowing to have augmented reality floating out in front of me. Um, and we were passing images, text, live video feeds onto my eye. And we just did one eye to, to start with. One of the tests that we did was kind of interesting, which was basically to take playing cards and hold them up to a webcam and I'd have my eyes closed and I could see what the cards were with my eyes closed. And I could just read off, you know, ace of spades, two of clubs. Wait, wait, um, wait, 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 wait. How's that work? So it's a, it's a contact lens. It, it's on your eye and it's underneath your eyelid. So when you close your eyes, you can still see it. You can still see what? You can still see the content that the, that the lens right. is displaying to you. But if your eyes close, how do you see a card? 
you're seeing what the display in the contact lens is, is lighting up. So we, we light up pixels in the micro LED display and your eye doesn't shut off just because your eyes are closed. But you can't see through your eyelid. I'm sure I'm missing something here. Well, your contact lens is under your eyelid. So your eyes are closed. Somebody holds up a card in front of you. Your eyes Not in front of you, in front of a webcam. And then we push the data from the webcam onto the display see. on the contact lens. And then you can see it. So I can see with my eyes closed or with my eyes open. It doesn't matter. So is the killer app then like a, a very smart gambling ring? <laughs> with a guy strategically placed behind a you know a dealer or something maybe maybe the first killer app for the very first user and then they'll they'll figure it out <laughs> <laughs> no there's there's actually the the practical application of that is just when you're somewhere where it's really bright outside and you don't have sunglasses or maybe you do have sunglasses and you want to see something you can just close one eye and read it rather than you know basically having to block out the sun with your hands Right, right. So you guys were able to kind of, you worked on this kind of project, uh, presumably not really knowing whether it was possible or just knowing it was possible, but just realizing this is going to take a while, this three and a half years or whatever, before you could actually get to the point and put some, something in your eye. Yeah, I mean, there there was a lot of confidence that what Michael had put together and had imagined was going to was going to work, but we also knew it was going to be a lot of hard work to, to get there. So I joined the company about a year in um, as the first head of product and, and marketing. Not a lot to market, but I spent a lot of my time as a product manager over the years, having worked on previous devices like iPhone and, and others in the smartphone category. You know, a lot of our time has been spent just proving the building blocks. And now we're at the point where we are integrating all those building blocks together. We've proven that we can build a lens with power and data and a display built into it. And what's happening right now is we are now incorporating eye tracking motion sensors into the lens. We're incorporating an outward facing image sensor. Um, we're incorporating thin film battery uh, into the lens. All of the pieces necessary to make a complete system are, are happening right now. So we're, you know, our goal is by this time next year, we should be wearing a fully, a fully baked system that uh, can then get refined into the, into the final product. And this would have to be approved by the FDA? That's correct. So all, all contact lenses in the United States are FDA-regulated medical devices. So we have to prove to the FDA that what we've built is both safe and effective for its, for its uh, intended uses. So we are building both a world-class consumer electronics company, but also a medical device company all in one. And that's the challenge in and of itself to be able to, to build an organization like that. And can you just paint a picture of like the most far out kind of thing this might be able to do? Or the thing that, like, because right now I've seen the demos, it's like you have, I don't know, somebody walking down the street and it's like messages appearing in green lettering or whatever it may be. It's it's fairly limited, which is probably a good thing because you don't want to have, you know, billboards showing up in your field of view. But I don't know if you guys have a grand vision for what this might be able to do ultimately. We we do. And, you know, it's it's important to not confuse the grand vision with what's possible early on and to and to take, you know, careful, measured, deliberate steps to 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 bring something like this to market. If I went out and 
told you all the amazing things that I think it can do, and then I showed you what it can do in the first iteration, you might be disappointed and we don't want to do that. So it's, it's important to, to, to manage people's expectations for these things. I can throw out a lot of crazy things. Ultimately, I think we're building a, a product that has, you know, it's a wearable that's going on arguably the, you know, the most important real estate on your body, which is your eye. And so the responsibility we have to build something that is that responsibly shows you information, doesn't distract you, actually helps you, goes away when you don't need it and stays off when you don't want it on. Those are all important things to us. And we're spending a lot of time thinking about that aspect of it. So to that, we're not so concerned about how complex the information is to begin with. So simple symbols and letters and words and sentences and, and simple information is where we start. Um, and then over time, it becomes more immersive and becomes more full featured and can paint more information inside the world or around you. We don't want to start there because the moment you start with that as a premise that you're trying to you know, replace the real world and, and really, really cover the world with information, you just blew away all the engineering trade-offs that you need to make in order to, to bring a product like that to market. We're being very very careful on what we what we promise in the in the first product, which is why one of the first use cases of the product is to help people who suffer from or have some sort of a vision impairment condition, say like glaucoma or macular degeneration, where we can actually use augmented reality to highlight the things that are in front of someone in a way that they can see it, even if they are visually impaired, which will allow them to be able to navigate the world in a more independent way than they can today. Some very simple things that we can do that can bring a lot of value to a group of people that are very underserved by technology today. And then we grow that out to vertical markets and enterprise, and then eventually to consumers where it is, you know, all of this crazy stuff that people imagine and see in sci-fi movies. Have you spoken with Neuralink? Yes, I believe we have. Do you see that kind of the, what they're doing and for people who we've done it, we've done a couple things on Neuralink, but Neuralink, you know, they're creating these brain implants to basically jack into AI, the internet, merge with the computers, so to speak, in a, in a very grand terms. Have you spoken with them or have any sense of like, you know, that you guys might ultimately merge that there's, if you're talking about invisible computing, mm -hmm. that if you have something like that, whether it's Neuralink or something else, yeah, because I know and, there's and actually, a lot of... I was, I was thinking of somebody else when you, when you brought them up, so I haven't spoken to them directly, but... I think of it as we're we're the display. So where do you where do you output this information? They're the input of how do I how do I get the the command to to show something? And so they are in, in very very much complementary to each other, the input and output of of these sorts of things. You know, so to start with, you know, a lot of our inputs are going to be around eye control, voice control, gesture control, you know, things that you would expect for us to do. Eventually, does it get to, to a brain computer interface? Sure. When that gets there and we get there, I think we'll get there sooner than they will. But I think it'll be a, a pretty amazing, crazy world when, when they get there too. And do you have any sense, and I know that's especially with hardware, it's difficult, but your guys' timeline, where this would be something that I or anybody can kind of buy in a store it's a number of years away before you as a consumer would be able to buy this but we put it in the the range of a, a few years before you know first product 
is available, all, of course, subject to the FDA who gets the final say on what's safe and, and whether or not it gets to, gets to be put on people's eyes. I mean, there's this kind of this race to replace the screen. Everybody's trying to figure out in what way the smartphone is going to be replaced so you don't have to be staring down in this little black mirror in your hand. I presume that Apple, Google, et cetera, they're all working on some, some form of this. I mean, do you, how crowded is this field or do you know? Well, I think, I think the, the field of smart glasses is incredibly crowded. I'd say that there's 30 or 40 companies that are all trying to build something, probably only a handful that you know, have the resources and the, and the ability to, to, to pull it off. Apple and Facebook and, you know, maybe Google, maybe Samsung or, or Snap. And or Am- Amazon, I think, didn't they, they... They're doing a hearable of some sort, but yeah. They're all out there trying to do that. They're all starting with glasses, and, and that's great because there's a lot of people that wear glasses today. I wear glasses, started wearing them, you know, when I got old and needed to be able to see every day. But there are a non-trivial number of people that want to look like themselves and chosen contact lenses for very specific reasons, you know, whether it is because of they don't like wearing glasses, they want to look like themselves, they do a lot of sports or they do a lot of other outdoor activities where where contact lenses make sense. We're the only ones we know of that are credible in the contact lens space. And there could be somebody out there that maybe is a little bit more further along than we're aware of, but we've we've raised a fair amount of money um, and have good backings from some some great investors and and have made probably the most demonstrable progress that, that anyone has. So we're feeling pretty pretty good about where we're at and our ability to, to continue to execute on that. So we, as part of that, the news probably will come out after, it'll come out before this podcast airs will be that uh, we just raised another $51 million in a Series B1 raise that we just closed last week. So, so what does that bring the total to? That brings us up to, I want to say, one, $159 million that we've raised so far. That's a fair amount of money. Yeah. So we've, we've just got some, some great backers. NEA led this round. And you know, we continue to get support from Gradient Ventures, which is part of Google. We got support from Motorola Solutions. We're just really grateful that we've got some investors that really believe in this concept, believe what we're trying to build, believe that this could go beyond just an augmented reality smart contact lens, that this could, if you want to talk about crazy, when you have power and data built into something that's touching the skin of your eye, what can you do with that? Well, there's a lot of health and wellness related things you can do with something that's on your eye that has nothing to do with augmented reality. How has doing what you are doing and raising money, although I know that oftentimes when you announce a fundraising it will have been closed, you know, nine months before. But <laughs> but how has the pandemic hindered or altered what you guys are doing or how you're doing it? Not so much. I mean, we're we're so early on that it's not like we're shipping products. So it's it has an impact that's from a revenue or a customer perspective because we don't have any yet, right? We're we're still a few years away before that that becomes a thing. So. It slowed us down a little bit because the teams have had to work remotely and you know there's a lot of equipment that that you can't just pick up from the office and steal and bring back to your home to to set up. But you know, we're working through how to how to make that possible that we can that we can get back to to some of the labs and, and get to work. But we have a lot of a lot of software to write and a lot of a lot of other things to 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 work on in the meantime. So we're being really 
quite productive despite the, the situation. And it gives us a chance to, to kind of sit back and understand the market that much better, how the world is changing and where, you know, this kind of this kind of product could fit in a, a post-COVID-19 pandemic kind of world is, is something that we've been thinking about hard. It's not something that we really have to react to today, but certainly we, we get the benefit, unlike others, to, to, to sit back and, and to observe and to react um, to that and plan for it. I just want to understand a little bit better, dive into a little bit of the technology, and just because obviously sure. a contact lens is small. And for those who haven't seen it, I mean, it's, you know, it looks like a normal contact lens, but there's like a, it looks like there's a little kind of focal point in the middle of it. That's the micro LED display. It seems to be connected to fed almost like by, by like a little rod that then goes into a larger circle around the, the outer kind of circumference. Is that more or less? Yeah, so there's a little, a little flex circuit that comes off the, off the display and goes off to the chips and the power and, and antenna that are kind of around the circumference of it. Oftentimes when we talk about, especially with people doing any type of hardware, this would have been impossible pre-iPhone because the iPhone and the smartphone revolution have done so much to industrialize super tiny sensors and processing and cameras yeah. and all of that stuff. Is that the case here? Oh, absolutely. There are so many things that we can be thankful for that have come out of all of the all the prior tech that, that we carry around in our pocket every day. Certainly, we've had to design custom chips to, to fit into this form factor because they weren't just available off the shelf. We do have a couple of partners that have been able to build some things off of their current products that I can't talk about today, but that so that we didn't have to design everything. But this is a huge systems integration project to pull all of these pieces together. And so any one startup probably would be happy if they if they did any one of the one things that we did to put into this lens. We're doing seven or eight. <laughs> and um, so when you talk about like a chip in a contact lens, is it, how big is the chip? Is it like a grain of sand? So it's about a half a millimeter across the display itself. And then it sits on a back plane, which right now is about a millimeter across, but we're starting to shrink that down to even smaller. So that small display has about 300 pixels across. So you'd think, well, that's not a lot. But when you think about where it's focused on your eye and the number of quote unquote pixels you have in your eye, it is actually quite a, quite a number. You don't have to have millions of pixels in order to see something clearly when it's right on your eye. So the, the key was to create the geometries of this display, this micro LED display, so that the pixel pitch between, you know, the space between pixels is as small as possible. And so, you know, this particular display we're working with today that we've developed has approximately 14,000 pixels per inch, um, which is an incredible number of pixels. If you were to take this display with its pixel size and create a 4K television out of it, it'd be smaller than a dime. It's super packed and tight and, you know, your average iPhone or smartphone has probably, you know, between 400 and 600 pixels per inch compared to 14,000. And our goal is to drive that number even higher because the higher you can get, you can eventually get to the theoretical limit of what the eye can see. Just in terms of the processing power, like how does this work? Does this, will this have to be tethered to a phone in your pocket or something? Yeah. So there is a, there is another accessory that you use. Um, there is a small arm core zero in the lens itself, but it doesn't. It does housekeeping kind of things to to keep everything going. 
we don't do any real computation on the eye. So you mean about, the arm, the uh, yeah, the chip maker, chip designer, yeah. right? Yeah. Think of it like uh, it's it's a streaming streaming display. So we stream everything to the lens. There's nothing stored on the lens. And the streaming happens from an accessory. That accessory is worn close to the head. So it could be in a necklace. It could be a hat or a helmet or a vest. Um, but it's got to be relatively close to the eye because the, um, the radio uh, transmit power from the lens is not incredibly high. It can't transmit to, say, a smartphone in your pocket, for example. So we call that accessory a relay, and that relay's got some compute power and, and a battery, and, and it basically communicates over a proprietary wireless protocol that we wrote to the lens. That relay, in turn, is tethered to your smartphone, which has the radio talking to you know, the mobile network or to, to the cloud. So there's two steps, basically. There's the phone, there's this extra device, and then got you. Someday, maybe long in the future, but someday the phone in your pocket could go away and the relay becomes that one thing. And is the relay, I mean, how big is it? Is it something that could be packed into say like, you know, AirPods or something? Yeah, the goal is to make it as small as possible. I'm not gonna commit to any any size right now, but we're, we're trying to cram it down. How, ba- how big is it right today? Uh, right now, it's probably like a playing cards, pack of playing cards. That's in a breadboard kind of situation where it's not it's not designed to be worn. It's just designed to power the, the the device right now. While you guys have been doing this, there's been this whole movement toward less screen time, kind of disconnecting from your devices, etc. How do you see this work? Because in a way, it's like, well, I'm not looking at my screen. I don't have I have less screen time, but it's also it's on your eye. Yeah. <laughs> so your eye is the screen. Yeah, it's it's counterintuitive. And a lot of what we are talking about when we're talking about invisible computing is this idea of knowing your context better than my devices know them today. So if a system were smart enough to know that you and I are having a conversation right now, or that I'm working on my laptop, or that I'm reading a book, hey, don't bother me. Let me focus. And so this system should be smart enough to be able to do something like that because it is going to know context. How is it going to know that context? So what do you mean? So we have built into the into each contact lens is a very small image sensor that's looking outward. And we use that for low vision. We use that to see what's in front of you so that we can then put highlights around it and change contrast and, and enhance the contrast to brighten things up for someone. So but it's like your own all- Instagram filter in your eye. Yeah, but basically it can also be used to do scene and recognition in front of you um, to do smart things, to know that I'm talking to someone else, for example, or to know that I'm doing some other activity where it shouldn't be bothering me, or it should give me extra information about that thing that I happen to be looking at. The key to making all that work, of course, is not just the tech of building in something that can recognize things in front of you, but it's also the security and the privacy aspects that allow you to trust it to do that without any of that information getting away from you or going to anyone else you don't want it to go to. Have you guys got any money or contracts from the military? So we've had some some uh, conversations about that. I don't have anything to announce today, but it's, you know, it goes to the the idea that this can be used in a lot of different vertical applications. One of our investors is Motorola Solutions. 
and they are one of the leading uh, providers of systems and communication tools for first responders. So police, firefighters, EMTs, and others. And so there's a lot of opportunity in building products that bring eyes up, hands-free information that's relevant, mission critical when you need it. And have you thought, I mean, this is, again, this is a kind of a further out discussion, but um, thinking about, again, going back to like Neuralink, um, they're like, well, you know, we're not going to allow ad-driven apps on our system, i.e. you can't spam someone's brain with ads. Have you guys thought about the guardrails you would put on this, or is that still too early? It's not too early to think about it. We've certainly talked a lot internally about where those guardrails are. Again, to, to kind of feed off what I said before, it's a very sacred space to to have information and have something in front of your eye. And so our goal is not to monetize you or your data and use you as a, as a platform for pushing information or, or to pull that off to figure out what to feed to you. Very much, you know, taking a more, a more measured approach. I spent six years at Apple working on the iPhone as product manager for iPhone from 2007 to 2013. My worldview of how we manage data and protect the user and use that information to make the experience better is what we are basing a lot of our design decisions on. I'd much rather sell you contact lenses and contact lens cases and applications and services and not be selling your data to anybody. Right. So it's kind of using some of that Apple type approach to data slash privacy. Yeah, that's a, it's a much stronger way to do it. We're not trying to reinvent business models here or to create a business driven by the data that, that you or, or anyone else sees. It's more driven by making you want to wear these things and making your vision better and helping you in the moment and you buying the next pair of, of contact lenses as your eyes, as your, as your vision changes over time. Why now? Why, why is this going to work now? I mean, technology is often, often so much about timing. I don't know what year the Newton came out. Great idea, but this didn't work, or the Palm Pilot, or whatever it may be. Why now and why this form, or you know, this technology that you guys are working on? So I've been doing this a long time. Uh, I mentioned uh, working on the Apple stuff. Before that, I worked on the Trio smartphone, which was from Handspring and Palm. You know, I was product manager for Trio for a few years while I was there. Um, and so I've seen some of these things. I've seen this cycle. I've You've seen things game. that work and things that didn't work. And I've learned a lot of lessons over, over time. And you're not wrong in, in questioning, like, when is the right time for something like this? I think it's going to take some time for these kinds of smart wearables to really take off, which is why we're being very measured in the, in the approach of, of starting with use cases that really do matter. So someone with low vision is going to get tremendous value if this works. And so that's going to be a great uh, place for us to, to, to really nail down the, the, the way this thing works and how it's used and where it can be used. And then we go into vertical markets, again, where there is a high value to something that fits under other equipment. Imagine emergency room doctors that don't have to pull out their phones and look at their phones and this thing fits underneath all of their other PPE really easily. So this form factor is useful there. So you start with these deliberate steps that get you further and further down the down the value chain towards consumer, and consumers will catch up at that point. So I don't know if that's three years from now or five or seven years, 
but we're building a company that can deliver that value in short bursts and continue to, to raise money and to continue to, to deliver something that eventually gets you to a consumer product uh, when the market's ready. Were there like technological hurdles that you had to kind of solve or was it more about bringing all of this stuff together that hadn't been brought together in this way before? And also just thinking about where this might go if you if I have this on my eye and you're talking about invisible computing, you're also talking about presumably voice, these other kind of advances that need to happen. I mean, how does that all fit together if we're actually truly getting to invisible computing? Because presumably at least voice and maybe a bunch of other stuff is going to have, you know, motion sensing, whatever it may be, for this to come together in a way that's actually really powerful. Yeah, so let me let's let's parse that apart a, a little bit. So going back to the first part of it, which is you know big challenges that we've had. Oh, we've had a ton of challenges. I mean, there was I, I can't can't tell you the number of times where it's been something that we thought couldn't be overcome. Whether it was how to basically create displays this small at this sort of geometries and connect them to a backplane that can power all the pixels, like. We weren't sure that was going to work, but we just kept just slamming at it and working out the formula and, and figured it out. Certainly, power has been a, a challenge for us um, to try and figure out. We Up until this last generation of prototype, we were using wireless power. We were using magnetic inductive coupling to the lens, um, and we decided that it would be better to embed batteries into the lens and you think, well, wow, that is that going to be safe? Well, the whole thing has to be safe. So we don't have a product if we can't make it safe, but we think we can deliver a better experience with batteries on the lens versus trying to power it wirelessly. And so, yeah, we've learned a ton uh, through, through the process of experimentation on how to do all of these different things. There isn't a single part of the, of the system that hasn't gone through a couple of iterations of design and juke and... <laughs> you know, pivot and, and readjust. But the vision of building a form factor like this has always remained the same as we've, as we've been building this. And then just on the kind of the broader question of invisible computing, from where you said, does a lot have to still be figured out in terms of voice and some of the other factors of this? Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a lot we're going to learn as we start to wear these devices every day, putting them on in the morning and wearing them all day. And building them in such a way that they actually are helpful throughout the day. A big part of what we're trying to do is deliver utility throughout the day. That's, that's how we're going to bring value. It doesn't have to be the, the, the full color, immersive robots running around the room kind of AR experience. It has to be the useful, oh, I need that piece of information right now, and it's right in front of me when I need it. Those are the types of aha types of experiences we want to build. So you know, if I'm about to go up on stage and give a speech, it would be nice to have my notes in front of me and be able to refer to those whenever I need to, just like I wanted to be able to tell me, oh, that's my Uber that's just come around the corner with my hands are full when I'm holding my bags and I'm standing at the airport. Like, so there are all sorts of these little moments in time where there's useful information that you want and it allows you to put your phone away and be focused on the world around you. What is the battery made out of? Because a battery on your eye, that idea will freak people out. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I won't go into, into uh, the chemistry at this point because we haven't announced it yet because we have to lock up our suppliers for, for, for this sort of thing. But it's a, it's a thin film battery 
technology that is lithium ion based that's not it's not the same as the the batteries that you have in your cell phones it's not the same kind of chemistry that does this these are not ones that when they overheat they expand and explode or do anything like that the that would not work in this sort of case. These thin thin batteries are the, are the type that you can bend and poke and and break, and they're not going to have an adverse reaction. And so a lot of effort from our side and from our supplier side is going into making sure that there can't be any adverse reactions to this. One of the benefits, again, of being a medical device is that we have to prove it. Not only do we have to design it, we have to prove it and have the data that we take to the FDA, approve it. And we know that if there are any adverse events out in the world because of this, that we don't have a business. So we, we have to prove that it that works before it ships. We can't, we can't allow it to hurt anybody in any way. And that is all the time we have. Would you wear one of these things? I think, I think I, I don't know if I would. It's very difficult. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's still a lot to be figured out before people are wearing these in mass, if ever. And one thing we do know is that these leaps, they often take a long time in the background and all of a sudden they're here, like the iPhone. So we'll see how this plays out. But I think it's a really interesting idea. I hope you guys enjoyed it. A little coronavirus break. Hope you're all staying safe, staying sane. Buy a newspaper. Get a subscription to the Sunday Times, please help keep me employed and keep pumping out stuff like this for you to uh, hopefully entertain you and distract you a little bit during these wild times. And that is it for me this week. I'll be uh, writing stuff in the paper as I usually do at thetimes.co.uk. I'm on Twitter at Danny Fortson. You can email me danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. You guys are probably bored of me saying that. You know it all already. Anyhow, have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.